the most success we ever have is whenever you have a cohesive team. And that's, I mean, that's coming from the top all the way down. So, you know, if you have a team that you're, you know, from owner developer to engineers, architects to the GC down to the subs, down to individual labor where everybody works together, that's, that's when you have a successful project where everybody understands what it is and nobody's pitting each other against the other one. Everybody works together, make sure it gets done. That's when, you know, that's the most success you'll have on a project is when you're a team. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining the show. This is going to be a fun one. Bridger is a good friend of mine and project manager at Fort Construction here in Fort Worth, Texas. Bridger has been successfully managing projects with Fort Construction for almost five years now. His insight into managing successful construction projects comes from a strong military background. The firm he works with, Fort Construction, based here in Fort Worth, Texas, is a full-service construction firm offering design-build, pre-construction, construction management, and general contracting services. They're known for their excellent work here in the North Texas region. So in this episode, we're going to discuss the role of a general contractor on your project, what types of traits you should be looking for when selecting this general contractor, and how big of a weight should previous experience have been when making your decision on a general contractor. So as always, if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the show and please pass along to your friends that are interested in development. There will be more exciting conversations on the show to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome, Bridger. Hey, how's it going, man? Glad to have you on here. Absolutely. Yeah, so I told uh, everybody up front on the introduction to this show that uh, a little bit about your background. But if you could just, in your own words, kind of give your own experience and, and background and, and maybe a little bit about Fort Construction. Yeah, um, absolutely. Before um, you start, we'll just yeah. go ahead. He's on an active job site, so you might hear a little background noise, but it's all part of the show. A little bit of action back there. <laughs> go but, ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, went to Texas A&M, graduated, shoot, almost 10 years ago now, and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up, so. Joined the Army for a little while, had a stint in that, and was getting out and met Scott Price and the Fort Construction guys and got offered a job. So I've been there going on almost five years now. Kind of a weird weird start, came in as a uh, assistant project manager, project engineer type, and uh, we kind of got blessed with a lot of jobs right up front. So they decided, here you go, figure it out. And so within the first few months of starting there, I started running projects and you know learning from a fire hydrant is the, the best way to explain <laughs> that but it's been a good ride so far and you know fort's been fort's been around since i think they started october of 2005 um so almost fifth or i guess 14 years now about to be working on 15th and um you know we're i think we've completed something like 250 projects now and you know we're averaging these days about 15 to 20 projects a year that they all range in that you know one to five million dollar range is kind of our average every now and then you know we get a car dealership or something that's a little higher but you know just good company to work for man good place 
Awesome. So your background, you said military, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess how'd that prepare you for for construction? it's more, you know, the management people, you know, as a general contractor, you're not out there, you know, we're not swinging the hammers. We're not doing all the work ourselves. So it was the managing of the people, the different personalities you deal with on a day-to-day basis, whether it be, you know, the guys in the field or, you know, project managers from other companies, architects, owners, whoever it may be. So kind of the, the having to deal with different people when I was in the army and different, you know, backgrounds of everybody that you meet, you know, you're not, in one location, you know, dealing with people that are all from the North Texas area or, you know, whatever, or all have the same background and, you know, doing construction, you're dealing with people from every walk of life. So that really kind of helped prepare me to, I guess, really just deal with the people because when it comes down to it, it's just a people business, man. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think about doing construction when you grew up or it um, just kind of fell in your lap? No, no. When I was little, I remember going, a good family friend of ours worked for Vaughn Construction in San Antonio. And so I went went and toured a few job sites. He was doing a big hospital in San Antonio. And so went and toured with him. And that was kind of something I really wanted to do. But then, you know, as you go through high school, you start thinking, well, I don't really know what I want to do. So I just, you know, I gra- graduated from Texas A&M with a business management degree, just kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I went with something that was kind of broad. You know, there's, mm-hmm. yeah, I could have done a a uh, construction science or something like that but didn't really think construction would be my my end all but it like i said it's been a good time so far good yeah ford construction has been in the area for a little while and created quite a uh, we're, we're we're working on it you know we, we call ourselves yeah. A, yeah yeah we're working on trying to trying to expand as much as we can and grow to you know just become a little bit bigger of a company but not lose our our small company feel right right so we'll jump into some of the, the general topics. Uh, what is the role of a, a general contractor on a typical construction project? Um, I mean, I guess the, the best way to sum it up is is we are the builder of the project. You know, the, the general contractor coordinates the, the subcontractors, you know, the, the actual trades and labor to get the job done. So some, some GCs do self-perform, but most importantly, they're ultimately responsible from getting that project from the, the plans and what's on the paper to a finished project. And even more importantly, to our owners on time and on budget. Um, that's kind of the, the big deal is we take the, the concept that these owners and developers have that they you know translate to the architect that the architect and engineers put on plans. And then we're, we're the ones that are responsible for coordinating everything to come on site, all the material to get put in, all of the people to get out here and actually install all this stuff. Right. Essentially a project manager for construction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as a whole. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's good to have those kind of folks on your team early. Exactly. Just, just to look, like you said, budget and timeline are extremely important. And, and they are. And that's, you know, it's every project has different requirements. You know, one of the things we ask our owners up front is, you know, what are your, thoughts on this process or this project what do you want to have happen what are your hot button items stuff like that and you know it it seems like just about every owner developer the first things they say is we want to be on time and on budget and one of the things one of the things we've been working on is okay you say on time and on budget but you know there's more to it than that there's there's a whole plethora of things on a job you know is it you've got to have this one look or whatever it is and so that's kind of what we we focus on, yes, on time and on budget is what they all want for the most part, but it's, you know, try and get them to dig a little deeper so we can 
not just be on time and on budget, we can deliver overall a successful project that hits all of the, the items or requirements that they, they want or need. That's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's not always just about the budget. I mean, if they're not happy with the end project, then, you know, what was the point? Exactly. You can finish a lot of things on time and, and on budget and not have a happy owner. So right. that's, we want to keep everybody happy. So are you seeing yourself being put more more in the beginning of projects or are you still kind of thought of near the end of construction document kind of role or are you getting pulled in earlier in the, in the process? It depends. Um, you know, some people bring in a lot sooner. You know, I'd say right now with a competitive market, everybody's still bidding a lot of stuff, but it seems like they're bidding it sooner. And then there's a lot more collaboration once, once the bid the bids off of you know a scheme or schematic or something that's not 100%. So once they select a GC, it seems like more and more people are going to that, you know, partnering with a GC, you know, interview stuff like that, partner with them in the front, so then they can go through the whole planning process to where everybody's together through the whole thing. Not just there's still I mean there's still a lot of the traditional hard bid jobs where hard bid it out they select you based on you know number criteria whatever it is and then you go from there straight into construction but uh, it seems more and more people are starting to realize that it works out a little better if you bring people in earlier on in the whole process right and and start to build those relationships Laura, absolutely there. absolutely so to say I was I was looking for a general contractor uh, with a project that I have, what what type of traits would you look for when uh, when selecting the general contractor? I would say, you know, look for the value. Um, and that's not always monetary value. So don't always go with the, you know, you don't want to always go with the cheapest. I'm not saying cheapest is bad at any point, but you want to look for who's going to provide you with the most overall value for your project. Um, whether that be, you know, the experience they have in doing your certain type of project. For example, we've been doing some rider truck facilities, so we're starting to, to figure out these, you know, maintenance facilities for, you know, bigger trucks and stuff. So more and more projects that we're starting to look at are similar projects, and it's it's not because we're the cheaper ones. It's because we've done these types of projects, so we're starting to we're starting to kind of figure out the the nuances of each job and what, you know, certain things to look for. So whenever you're selecting a GC, you know, experience needs to be weighted. I wouldn't say extremely heavily, but your overall feel for that GC and the feel for their grasp of the project, don't just select it based off of a number. Um, like I'm saying, number number needs to be a criteria in there because you don't want to just spend unnecessary, unnecessary money. But selecting somebody, like I said, based off the total value that they can provide is, is probably the best idea. Right. So previous experience is important generally as yes. far as understanding hey this project is probably in their wheelhouse they you guys are doing more uh, you've got some industrial in your portfolio right. you've got an office so most likely for a you know residential subdivision you, right you wouldn't we, need those guys so correct and, and, yeah. I, and i'm not saying you know i'm not saying that you know because you've done this industrial building you know, you can't do something else. So it's one of the other things that you look at is, you know, types of project come in all sorts of types. Is it the exact, you know, are we trying to do the same function as this other project they've done? Or is it a project that, you know, for example, we're going to remodel our entire facility, but we have to stay in business the entire time while not 
hindering construction. So that's actually something that we, you know, start looking back at. We've done quite a few renovation projects while people are still in operation. So you're working in and around the people. And so it's, it's more than just the exact, I guess, type of project, you know, have they done a car dealership exactly like my car dealership, or is it a medical office facility or retail or whatever it is, but look at, you know, different types of similarity, I guess, not just the end function of that project. Right. Yeah. More of a general approach. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, cause typically if you've done a certain type of construction, you probably have subs that you've worked with that do that, you know, do more of those things. And, and then when you get outside of that, you might have a little trouble finding certain subs to right. be on a project. I would agree. Okay. Since we're on the sub consultant, subcontractor topic, there's been in the news, there's a lot of tradesmen and women that are often hard to find these days with maybe stigma. There's there's all sorts of things, factors that have played into that. Do you do you see that occurring right now? Absolutely, hundred percent. It's and it's it's more so the fact of everybody's so busy right now. The especially this North Texas market is is booming. Fort Worth is one of the fastest growing cities in the country and so that well, that growth requires construction. So, you know, I'm we're calling subcontractors and you know, man, I'd love to do that job. I just don't have anybody. And it's everybody out there constantly trying to hire more people. The problem is they can't find more people because they're already employed because there's so many <laughs> projects right. going on that the the actual manpower needed um, is not being met. And that coupled with, you know, some other things, you know, we're losing losing a lot of the, uh, I guess, specialty trades, you know, plumbers, electricians, mechanical guys that do your HVAC. We're kind of we're kind of losing a few of those. Um, the the older generation starting to the phase out, and there's not really a big uh, younger generation following behind in their footsteps. So it's getting getting a little harder to find uh, some of those people, some of those trades, just because of a, an attrition is is happening. I think there's an emphasis being put back on it, uh, especially in our schools right now. They're emphasizing some of those trades and whatnot, but it's it might take a little while to, to catch back up. But the, the biggest factor in all of that is for sure just how busy everybody really is. Gotcha. So main reason is demand is far outweighing supply. <laughs> so uh, have you seen any programs in, in schools right now or is Fort construction uh, working with any the subcontractors to try to try to increase supply or we're not we're not working directly with any of the subcontractors subcontractors on that but i do know a lot of high schools now um they they call it cte i think it's like career and technical education i think and so you know and it's kind of across the board you know i mean from medical stuff to to welders Um, i know uh, some high schools are starting electrical programs for kids that they want to get out and they can go straight in and take their test and become an apprentice, you know, and then all they require is their hours before they become a journeyman. Um, that's something they're focusing on. I know I talked with a plumber on a job and they were seeing a, an influx. I don't know if it was straight out of high school or, or if it was more into uh, your your community colleges and stuff like that where they're, or their tech schools where they're making a push to try and get, you know, plumbers to come through the program. So, you know, they're graduating and they can go straight into an apprenticeship program and then, you know, the problem with that is, you know, they become an apprentice and they require so many hours mm-hmm. to uh, be able to take their test to become, you know, journeyman or, or whatever that may be. So it's 
a lot of education that's required of them, and it just takes some time for them to, to get that. So like I said, I think that gap will, will be filled at some point. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Right, right. And there's plenty of, uh, plenty of incentive to do oh, so. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm sure you guys are feeling that pinch with, with paying these specialty subs. It is. It is. You know, it's every year you, you kind of look back at the historical data and similar projects, you can kind of see that there's a creep happening that's, you know, it's outpacing inflation. So that means there's a, there's an actual increase in the amount of money that these projects are costing. And it's the big one is right there in your, your MEP category. Really? It's, it's getting more expensive and it's, it's the labors what's driving it. Interesting. This is kind of a fun little question, but uh, what is the most surprising thing you've found on a construction site? I can just imagine. It's, we haven't ever found you know, no burial grounds or anything like that. Um, I did have an earthwork guy that found a lot of bodies down by the river in Waco when they were doing the uh, Texas Ranger Museum. But for us, it's oh, man. You, know, you, find, you find a lot, of, especially south side of Fort Worth. We find a lot of old building foundations and and I'm talking old, you know, built in 1800s type, you know, you're finding old little artifacts and stuff like that. But the, the worst ones are when you start finding old gas tanks, if there's an old service Ooh. station there or something like that. We've we had a string of jobs uh, right by our office um, on, in Fort Worth South that we found old buried gas tanks that nobody knew were there. And it it can cause some havoc on a job. You know, you're digging down there, and all of a sudden you're you're hitting soil that's contaminated, and then you gotta you know have to get the EPA involved and stuff like that. But then the ones that really just frustrate you are when you know your utilities aren't marked when you call out you know dig tests or somebody come out there to locate, and lo and behold you're digging in the middle of your job site and there's no gas line there, and you hit a two inch gas line that's spewing gas everywhere. That's mm. those those aren't fun, but it's we're always waiting to, to find a really cool artifact or something but that, hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. Right. Right. And I'm going to have another show about uh, phase one and phase two environmentals. But just since we're on the topic, what is that? What does that look like when you do find a tank underground like that? Uh, you know, the first thing you do is you, you notify EPA and, and they come out and then you're, you're testing the soils and um, if the, the soils are contaminated to a certain level, then you have to do site remediation, just like, you know, uh, asbestos remediation or anything like that. You have to start pulling that soil out. And if it's, like I said, if it's contaminated to a certain level where you can't condition that soil, then you have to haul it all out. Um, I know I was doing a, a car dealership and we were, uh, next door and we started working and whatnot. And the guys next door were doing a uh, car wash you know, just a couple of dealerships next there. And they found an old hydraulic tank that had been down there from the previous dealership long, long time ago. Well, that hydraulic tank had had a leak in it for years. Mm. They ended up, I forget how many yards of soil they ended up having to take out. I mean, they, they basically ex- excavated their entire site down to bedrock and replaced it all with new fill. I mean, it was a significant amount of time, money, effort on everybody's part. And not to mention, whenever you take that soil to dump it somewhere, you can't just go to, you know, a pit to dump it. You know, you have to find a select, select a pit that will accept that contaminated dirt that has the, I guess, the resources and the space available to put contaminated material out there to store. I mean, essentially, it's never going to be used again. It just goes out there to sit. So it's, whenever that happens, it's not a, uh, not a good thing. It, it takes a, the biggest one that always hammers us is it takes a lot of time. 
even right. if the soil ends up being fine, it takes a lot of time for all that soil to be tested, for them to get all their readings, to do their calculations and figure out if that soil is okay to remain inside or not. So there's a lesson in there. <laughs> there's, yeah. Uh, due diligence is important. Very important. Although it's not always possible to, to locate Exa- these things. but Exactly. You could definitely definitely have a good chance of finding them if you're if you're looking at a site and, and you get the right professionals involved early. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked about Fort and their success they're having there in Fort Worth. So what what do you think has made yourself, this is a two-part question, so yourself successful at Fort and then what makes Fort successful there in the Fort Worth market? Uh, you know, I think... Uh, a lot of it has to do with the subcontractors we use makes makes Fort successful. You know, using good quality subs um, is, is what really helps. Are you just saying that because they can hear you right there? <laughs> Hanging around in here, uh, but using using quality people on job has has been a big thing. Um, and you know, for myself, it's just being flexible and, and learning. You know, that's. If you stop learning, then that's the time they, it's time to hang it up and, and be done. So constantly finding finding things to learn and stuff like that is is what's made me more successful at Ford. But like I said, I mean for for the uh, our projects and whatnot, the the most success we ever have is whenever you have a cohesive team, and that's I mean that's coming from the top all the way down. So you know if you have a team that you're you know from owner developer to engineers architects to the gc down to the subs down to individual labor where everybody works together that's that's when you have a successful project where everybody understands what it is and nobody's pitting each other against the other one everybody works together make sure it gets done that's when you know that's the most success you'll have on a project is when you're a team yeah yeah and that's it's funny when i've been doing all these conversations recently it's been the, the words that show up when, when it comes to success have been communication, have been constant learning, and teamwork. Is, is, oh, yeah. And it's funny, those all three come up when, when we start talking about success, you know, not just in a project, but in, a, you know, in a personal endeavor as well. That's, that, those, uh, are, those are the, I mean, everybody always talks about how communication is key. I mean, that is open communication up and down. I mean, that's the, no matter what it has to deal with. I mean, that's like you said, personal endeavor, you know, your personal life, whatever it is, having the good communication with whatever aspect or thing you're dealing with is going to be the critical aspect of it. So just to elaborate on communication real quick, how does communication look like in, in Fort, in that organization between you, between your subs, between you know, the design team, how does that look and what are certain, what are certain mechanisms that allow you guys to, to communicate effectively? You know, each project's different, each, each owner, each, each architect, everybody's a little bit different, but, you know, making sure egos aren't in the way is always a good thing. Um, whether that's, you know, subcontractor to, to whoever, um, making sure nobody's, you know, too good to have good open communication. And that's, you know, open dialogue and everybody has an input and ensuring that everybody's input is heard and everybody's input is thought about is going to be a good aspect. I mean, from Fort to down to ourselves on a job site, we've imp- implemented lean construction and it's, you know, kind of goes back from the, the Toyota manufacturing or you know, lean manufacturing 
Um, we're doing lean construction where we're having, you know, a five to 10 minute huddle every morning with all of our subs that are on site. And that way the communication is right there, open in front of everybody. What issues do you have on the job site today? What are you accomplishing on the job site today? How many guys, I mean, and it, what it does is it kind of builds everybody in together. And so then instead of, you know, Mason coming in and us, Hey, I need your framer to do this. And you go grab the framer. Hey, I need you to do this. Everybody's right there and everybody gets to know each other. So then, we're kept in the loop as a GC, but the communication seems to just flow better around the job site to where instead of it taking, you know, 10, 15 minutes for us to track somebody down, get them together, get an answer, it's almost instantaneous. And so that just helps everything, like I said, flow. I mean, it's, the, you know, the flow of information freely through each other is, I guess, the, the key to good communication on the job site for us. Yeah, that's interesting. So what other aspects of that uh, lean construction do you guys kind of pick and choose from as far as, you know, what what makes you guys successful? You have the five minute morning meetings. Is there any other? Yeah, um, I mean, like I said, we just implemented it. So we're all still learning. We we hired a superintendent that that's very knowledgeable in it. And so he's kind of been teaching us all. But one of the best things that we've found is we have a constraint board. Um, So, you know, if there's an issue, we're having owner meetings and architect meetings in the trailer and you know subs are hey i need an answer on this or whatever it may be we write those out to where those those issues are visible to everybody so instead of them just sending an email where you got to go and look at your email i mean every time you walk in that trailer you see that constraint board right in front of you so you look like man i need an answer on that rfi right now so we can do this or i need my countertop guy to install this counter right now or whatever it may be and that's one of the, the other ones but other than that like i said we're just 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 starting to dabble in it so it's gotcha. a learning process in and of its own gotcha so. yeah that's a interesting idea I, I think more and more companies are, are starting to apply that that sort of thinking i mean it's, right it's, and, and it's 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 here to to reduce wasted time and wasted material you know eliminate rework and all those things that you know it may seem like a small thing to go back and do a patch in one room but when you exponentiate that across an entire project, across across a duration of small, little, minute, five minute, ten minute hiccups, all of those add up together, and it just—I mean, that's that's why you see schedule creep. Is it's not that big things are missed all the time. It's just these small little things that continuously add up, hmm. and so they just continue to that keeps forcing that schedule to creep out to the right, and so that open community back to that open communication helps reduce all of that rework helps reduce wasted time, wasted material, stuff like that. That's really interesting. I like that. I like uh, how you mentioned it's, it's the small things that often uh, cause the most issues with the sub or the, the uh, with the calendar. <laughs> yeah. The schedule. It's uh, it's not necessarily one big, one big problem. And that doesn't, I mean, of course, there's always problems. Back to the, you know, having a gas tanker or something right. in a project. There, there are big things that happen, but everybody's generally understanding and understands that issue. It's the, the issue we have with our owners getting frustrated with what the schedule is when there seems to be no reason and that, that schedule just keeps getting pushed further and further to the right. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, you had a rain day, but you had two days lost in the rain and mud. Why did we lose four days overall on the schedule? And so it's that's what we all, we always talk about. We're always in our uh, company meetings talking about that schedule creep and how to reduce that. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Bridger. I want you to 
get back to you guys. It sounds like there's a lot going on. <laughs> there I would is. Hate, I would hate to push back your schedule for a phone call. So. No, I appreciate it. I enjoyed yeah. it. Good, good. Well, we'll have to have you again sometime Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Let me know when you want it. Right. <laughs> have a good one. You too.